Welcome to the Beth and Kelly Show, a weekly Facebook Live conversation between Beth Fortune and Kelly Klingen. That's me. And we've made it into a podcast. Beth Fortune currently serves as Education Director at Wintergrass, the National American String Teachers Association Board, and Chair of the National Council for Orchestral Education. I currently serve as Education Director at Jazz Ed the Washington president at Jazz Education Network and Jazz Curriculum Officer for Washington Music Educators Association. We have a platform and we really want to leverage it for positive change. Please hit us up. Let's have a conversation and uh, let's move our practice as music educators forward. Um, welcome to the first episode of 2021. And it's episode 25. I like how it's a nice number for the first of something. Kind of elegant, right? Or like some type of amendment that could happen. Right. Maybe an amendment that there's talk. <laughs> I'm here for the, I'm just here for the good earrings, you know? Yes. Yes. So I was just um, talking with this amazing group of um, panelists that we've gathered today about the idea that um, when I feel like I need to be comforted, I turn on some Grateful Dead and I grab a nice hot cup of tea and I go sit on the couch with my blankie. And that is like what is needed in this world right now. We need coziness. We need warmth and um, something wrapping its arms around us to make us feel like we're safe because um, this world is not feeling very safe right now um, politically and in what's going on. So um, we are going to talk about, um, well, we're going to start with The Grateful Dead. Damn and we're, man. Yeah, we're, we're calling this episode Dead Ed. And um, I have gathered this amazing panel of folks um, who are all stunning musicians, first of all, and artists. But this whole panel of people has dedicated like at least half of their life to music education and teaching kids and adults and anyone really who wants to. Um, the freedom of music and the healing power of music. Um, and so these people, um, I'm going to introduce them, um, are going to uh, talk through this with us. Okay, so the first person that I'd like to introduce is um, amazing guitarist of all sorts, um, a person who um, plays all kinds of music an extremely amazing jazz musician and rock guitarist, Ari Joshua. And Ari is um, also a music educator here in Seattle who has worked with numerous of my students um, over the years. Um, on my right, I have no idea what Zoom is doing right now, but on my right, I've got a person who um, has contributed to the overall general um, artistic um, infrastructure of the greater Puget Sound region, a person who constantly is playing music, composing music, teaching music, building events for and with music, um, and inspiring others. Um, and that is my one of my partners in crime at the Wintergrass Festival, um, Ricky Jean Powell. To my bottom left is living legend, um, multi-instrumentalist, um, storyteller, um, inspiration, um, original member of the movement, um, and, and, um, and partner in teaching at Wintergrass, Joe Craven. Yes. And below me, is um, one of our most reliable bass instructors in the Puget Sound region and a person who I go to when I have a crazy idea. Uh, this person helps me put crazy ideas together. 
And crazy idea number one was, I want to do a concert with a middle school orchestra that's all Grateful Dead. Yes. And he said, great, what can I do to help? And, um, you know, provided string charts and all kinds of things for our many years of Grateful Dead performances that we did at Washington Middle School um, and is a partner in all the other crazy harebrained stuff that I like to put together. Sometimes um, Seattle grunge music, um, all this kind of stuff. So um, this is Matt Hopper, um, an amazing bassist. So welcome. Welcome to you all four. This is really fun. We've never had a group this large yet. And um, I was just, you know, I always um, spend Friday thinking about who our guest is and different things I might want to ask and these types of things. And I was thinking about today's episode and thinking about how I really don't have a relationship with the Grateful Dead, but I do have a very deep relationship with jam musics from around the world. And, um, and you know, I've worked with all four of you men in other ways, jazz festivals, mm -hmm. Ari and I went to school together, um, Joe came and we actually went to Joe with our concert band students and one of my very favorite teaching memories is of our tubist like walking around with Joe rapping in California <laughs> and then Ricky Jean like came into Washington just as I was exiting but you mm -hmm. know worked with all those same kids and I and I just think it's really important that we all recognize um, that there's a connection between the jazz world and um, and and the world that you all spend maybe more of your time in. Um, and there's overlap, right? There's overlap. And let's also point out that you and Ari went Class to high school together. Class in 97, new writers, baby. And we're in the same jazz band together. For four years, that's the yeah. truth. Um, with Scott Brown, who happens to be downstairs attending the Gen Conference. Good for him. I'm so proud. Yes. Okay. So um, let's start with Beth. You have quite the agenda. I'm excited. I do. Just I do. So um, <laughs> surprise. So yeah, I spend my um, exercise time running and walking around the neighborhood, um, and I think about these things. So. The virtues of jam band music, Grateful Dead and jam band music, and why it is appropriate to teach jam band or Grateful Dead music to students in school music programs. What is there to be gained? What yeah. is there to be gained? Who wants, Who wants to, go to start? Ricky Jean looks ready. <laughs> I'm always ready. I'd say the short answer for that yeah. is nothing could, uh, I don't know, illustrate liberty and musical liberty better than the Grateful Dead's career over their time of intensely applying improvisation and also songwriting and song form and continuing to explore fearlessly all the things they felt they wanted to bring to bear. That is the essence of liberty in America to me, musical and artistic. And, you know, that's the big reason. Plus, they drew on 50 years of music before them. They've been a band all this time. Quite a bit of repertoire. That's my simple answer. That's great. I'd love to hear from someone else. I feel like it bridges the gap um, between, you know, where you have jazz bands typically are, you know, a big part of middle schools and high schools. Um, and the, and the Dead's music bridges this gap between, you know, this improvisation uh, and along, you know, with, with rock music and, and you know, more um, uh, orchestrated or um, uh, arranged music, you know. Um, showing, kids that, showing kids that, um, well, there, let me say it a different way. There are so many students who um, don't want to dip their toe in um, improvisation. So stay away from jazz band thinking that they'll never have to. Whereas if we were teaching improvisation to all of our students and they would start realizing that in fact, um, being an improviser uh, can get you all kinds of gigs, not just in jazz bands. Yeah. Joe is like ready. He's yes. Ready. 
I think it's really great to have kids understand that there are different, to use fancy words, different pedagogical systems of how to learn. The Grateful Dead specialized in the idea of vernacular learning, the idea that you don't learn from a platform of correctness as much as you do from clarity. It's the idea of tr creating a vibe with something rather than treating it like a linear math problem. Um, this is really key. This is huge. Um, and so I, there's a short one for you just with that. I mean, there's a whole bunch of, I could go deeper, but one of the things that can happen with this is, is getting kids to feel comfortable with the idea that music can be learned in the same way that we learned speech, that there don't have to be prerequisites of literacy to be able to play music and echoing a little bit of what Ricky's talking about, about freedom, this, is, this makes the process of learning forgiving, more forgiving and fun. Um, okay. Yes, and Joe, that is how you have approached all of your teaching endeavors and how you have in turn really shaped my teaching philosophy. Kids want to fun. Kids want to do. Kids want to do. Let's not tell them they have to know this scale and that thing and that thing to start making music. Let's exactly. make a vibe and have some fun together. That was one of my favorite things. The very first time that I uh, went to Washington Middle School uh, with um, to start working on things uh, for that first concert, and Ricky Jean was in there already teaching the kids how to play Shakedown Street with no music in front of them. He was just sh showed them a line and they, they started mimicking it back. And it was instantly accessible and enjoyable and the kids were having fun. And like, I just got a huge grin on my face. I'm like, this is gonna be a really good time. Yeah, Ari, we'd love to hear from you. I just wanna say that this is like the coolest um, in, like a uh, podcast right now for me. And I wanna explain the perspective here. And, and <laughs> this, will, this will, you know, me and Kelly, in ninth grade in Roosevelt High School, when it walked into the jazz band the first day, I, I didn't even know how to play jazz. I was like really into blues and Hendrix and Scott, you know, God bless him, put me in the band because I probably played a soul a soulful solo, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, but it was instantly within that time period, that same year I saw the Grateful Dead the first time. I saw them twice. Memorial Stadium. I think I saw Joe the same year as well, probably with David Grisman. I, I saw Joe multiple times during that era with David Grisman. Um, so I'm sort of like the, you know, a prime example of how important this music is for education. And I want to loop back to Beth also because, you know, right at the beginning of this, she says, she's talking about the heart and the feeling and, and the, you know, the emotion and the soothing energy that music can bring. And that was a huge part of why I got into music in the first place. And the, I don't know what I would do. I don't know who I would be if, if I didn't have these things. They, they provided so much um, good energy and um, both intellectually stimulating Justin to study the music of the Grateful know. Dead. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, both intellectually and, you know, um, creatively. Um, but, you know, Kelly, when I got in the jazz band and was asked to solo over some changes, I didn't know what, what to do. But when I, when I had the Grateful Dead as an option, I was already getting into like scales and theory and everyone can relate to this, but I was able to, I was exploring like, you know, playing, but I didn't have to change quite as much as in jazz, but it was the same right. sort of information. It was, I was able to access straight to the feeling to just one chord, you know, or maybe two chords or three chords. But, you know, Jerry had a way of playing through the chord changes the way a horn player in jazz would play through the chord changes. So you still had to kind of study a certain amount. But I mean, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I want to pass um, the torch here and let other people sure. talk more. Ari, all of that makes me think, um, of course, about, you know, kids understand things, whether or not we say it out loud, yeah. for sure. 
and you were learning the importance of group. Somebody's phone is popping off. It's Friday night, y'all. I got the white claw. We got the phone ringing. Um, you know, let's do this thing. Uh, but, you know, so kids know it even if we don't spell it out for them. But I also think that if we did spell it out for them, it would really help our kids right now. Like, hey, folks, we're we're in a rough time here. What music are you listening to that helps you find your happy place? Oh, you're not you're not doing that. Well, might I suggest this? You know, and start really talking to kids about the therapeutic properties of listening to and playing music. I think um, this helps us sustain. Joe, Joe, I want to hear from oh. you um, as a person who has worked within this community from its inception, really. Um, I want to hear about this because you have raised your children in this community. Um, you've worked in it for many, many years. You know many, many people who have also done the same thing as you. Um, I want to hear your thoughts. Um, where to begin? Yeah. Ari, you can Ari, begin at the Ari, beginning, Joe. It, Ari hit on some, he hit on some great stuff. Um, when Charlie Parker hit the scene, uh, a lot of jazz players, a lot of jazz students felt they needed to, uh, pardon the, 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 uh, the directness of it, but it needs to be spoken about, um, felt they needed to shoot up right. to be able to play like Charlie. They honestly really believed that. They believed that drugs were a prerequisite to be able to make music in new and pioneering ways. Um, the thing that's interesting about this from a historical perspective is that, yes, this has gone across the panacea of different styles of vernacular music. Um, and of course, you know, addiction is known in classical music as well. Um, any kind of editor that is applied to somebody, Django Reinhardt using two of his principal fingers on his left hand to play because of an accident, uh, composers, musicians losing their hearing, losing their eyesight. These, these create editors just like drug use and drug abuse. And that's an important thing to also point out, the difference between drug use and drug abuse. Um, I drink a beer. I'm drinking alcohol. It, that can easily be abused, just like other kinds of, shall we say, sort of uh, recreational style drugs. And it's not to be sitting here spending too much time on all this, but uh, my daughter became infatuated and became, became a huge fan of Amy Winehouse when she was like 10, 11 years old. Amy gave her a real beacon for, for the development of her own uh, voice. Um, and she didn't realize the backstory of that and when she found out later about it it really becomes um it's not it's and, and ari pointed this out too it is not there that needs to be separated it is not a prerequisite to be able to um feel like there needs to be an understanding of it if you're in that space um i have worked with lots of people i'm I'm kind of an old, I don't know, I, 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 I didn't do very many drugs um, in, the, in the context that we think about. Um, for instance, in the landscape of, of the dead, especially in their early days. Um, Are you the straight man? <laughs> yeah, kind of the straight man. I love it. But the thing is, the thing is, you know, the point, the point to make to kids is that or young young people, anybody really is that. Um, really, what matters is the music. I mean, my daughter is is a she's she's 
she's very she's pretty pretty straight uh, for a 19 year old um, but she's remarkably creative just like I mean gosh Charlie Parker's music you know bop took my head off it inspired me so much but I realized that it was the music speaking that's the inspiration it's it's not it's not an, an adherence to the backstory of people's lives I mean I'm fascinated by the fact that David Grisman loves loves to smoke you know I mean that he that that's what gives him his his equilibrium and his ability to to connect with with creative process for me it's something it's something else um but it's about prerequisites it's about really putting those things aside to 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 say no it's really about um what somebody can be inspired buy from someone else. I know a lot of young people who are learning and are are playing the music the the way Jerry Garcia played it. But they understand that they don't need anything else to be attached to that. It, the music is the inspiration, not the not the lifestyle or the backstory of 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 that. It, it, it's it's sort of like let me let me put it this way. It's like you have an art exhibit of abstractionists and people come in and they somebody sees a Jackson Pollock painting up on the wall Jack the Dripper and um, <laughs> in the old days reflexively wanting to go to a catalog or go to a, a plaque and have something there telling them about what is the artist saying and that's not what's relevant what Jackson Pollock created is something then that can be is multi-interpretive. Different people can can get an incredible inspiration from that work. But what we have to what we have to do is is give people permission to not be afraid to ask questions. This gets it gets into art elitism. Which is a whole other huge thing that you teachers that are watching this and we on this panel we all know about this. I'm, I'm pardon me if I'm bungee jumping a little bit here. I'm, no, but, bungee jump right into this topic. Thank you. But yeah, it's, it's on the menu anyway, Joe. So you're just <laughs> oh, okay, okay. But I think you know. I mean, but just to try to put a bow on, uh, on 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 the idea of people having things that hold them back with the music because of because of something else connected to it that might seem unpleasant dark uh, a concern if you're if you're if you're working with young people uh, and how you know with the realization that these kids you know the backup on these kids are their parents and the home that they come from and the value systems that those houses have um, and to be respectful of all that. But I think if we really focus on the idea of, wow, it's about the music, it's about, it's and it's allowing kids to be, it's like show kids early train and then show them train in a love supreme period and be able to have them be comfortable to ask questions and then to give them permission to liberate to liberate themselves from the tyranny of common sense. Yes. Um, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, I want you to know that Joe has moved his body forward so that his whole face with a very epic beard. I'm, I'm closing in. We've got some distortion and we love it. And Ricky Jean is like. I'm sorry. So needing to say something. I, Sorry, I, I wanna, no, no. Yeah. I just want to add to what Joe said to pitch in a little bit on this idea. I think any the Grateful Dead are known in many ways in our modern culture of, of being maybe a drug culture around them. What better band to discuss drug use with students? When I was working, um, like, well, two things. One, there's a great book written called Musicians on Music. It's actually written by the sister of the woman who inspired Layla. So she was a model and knew all these musicians. And what it is, it's all these musicians' questions about their lives. And it's broken up into chapters. One, like musicians from music families, non-music families. There's a whole chapter on musicians and drugs. Someone like Eric Clapton 
says very clearly, drugs are a doorway, perhaps, but the door slams real quick behind you. So it, it is not going to get you anywhere. And I'll just say, uh, I was at the Washington Middle School, and uh, we were learning China Cat Sunflower. And a 12-year-old student, I can't remember her name, I'm sorry, asked me, what is the silent bell? And I said, well, it's poetry. I began to discuss it. And she said, is this about drugs? And remember, Beth, I looked at you and I said, yeah. well, now's a great time to talk about drug use. And what I said was much of what you know, the idea that Joe had said, but also I used the Grateful Dead metaphor. I said, you know, it's the, the metaphor, you're on the bus, you're off the bus. Well, let's imagine you are a musician with a band and you're, you have an audience in the bus with you. You need to deliver them somewhere. You don't want to crash in the ditch and that's the experience so i said no matter what you do before after the gig you should darn well be straight enough to get the bus to the destination well it's the whole downbeat concept that kelly and i are talking about don't be late for the damn downbeat you gotta make the downbeat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. i'd like right. to Oh, sorry, Matt. I, Matt, I just, Matt. Want to just make one little small point because we've been, you know, talking about this whole drug culture reference thing, which is understandably that that has been, you know, uh, a, a part of them and and the people around them for a very long time. But since I think at least since the 1980s, if you go to any Grateful Dead show or related show, and this is true today for any of their offshoots, Dark Star Orchestra. Jerusa is almost dead. If you go to any show and you find the yellow balloon, there is a group of sober people there who is ready and willing and able to support you um, if, if you are an addict and you need that kind of support at the show. That's um, really cool. So there are sober heads all over the place. And I mean, um, the real reason, Matt, I wanted to talk about this basic idea is as teachers, you start thinking, if I give this material to my students, they're gonna, Am I gonna get in trouble? They're gonna love it, but then they're gonna take it home because they love it and they're gonna practice it and they're gonna talk about it with their family. And then you're gonna get the angry email that your principal and the superintendent are copied to, letting them know that they have a teacher who has gone rogue and they are teaching drug culture in their classroom. <laughs> and so, you know, you wanna think through these things <laughs> in yeah. advance. So you've yeah. got your, you know, spiel ready, if you will. Yeah. Doing this work is not promoting drug use. Right. Of course. Of course it isn't. I and it seems it's right, but it just needs to be right. stated. It's the uh, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I just wanna say that, you know, there are so many more things right now for young children and for all of us and always have been that are so much uh, a higher priority of red flag to me uh, that's going on right now than this topic. Um, you know, right. social media is, there's brainwashing going on. I don't want to sound like a crazy person. People are, <laughs> the, the, look, at, look at the matrix. You know, we, 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 we are potentially becoming closer and closer to that metaphor of what the matrix, the movie, you know, uh, you know we need to get people out of the matrix. You know, I, mean, I think if you're if if you're a soulful person, if you're a musician, yeah. if you're an artist, your purpose is to heal people, to heal yourself, mm -hmm. to uh, and and the reason why we study this music is because we found healing through it. And the, I find that the further I go intellectually, the more I practice, the more I practice my craft, the mm -hmm. the closer access I have to you know what what might sound new agey, but it's it's a it's an incredible feeling of joy that I can share that helps me that helps you know maintain my balance but right. what i'm saying is there are th this the positives of teaching kids music regardless Basically, of what yeah, it is right. and regardless of this and let's argue because yeah. i th i think i can go there i bet we can all go to this place of saying that all of our students should have a transformative experience through music and that if it's a music that is accessible and i would say something that has a groove something that lots of kids can improvise over with a melody that's approachable i think if, yeah. if we want all our kids to have that and this music absolutely offers those things um then i want to find out 
how we can make it available to more students. And something that Beth and I have talked about um, yeah. is a lot um, pertaining to jazz, but we also did an episode with some Appalachian musicians and it feels pretty universally agreed upon that jam sessions hold toxic masculinity within them. Yep. And so if we wanna have all of our students, so that includes the girls, feeling like this is for them. Um, how can we get rid of the sort of frat boy feeling that maybe Beth wants to speak to? A I'm little gonna bit? I'm gonna speak um, because you know it's interesting. Um, my involvement in this music came first from like the Grateful Dead. Um, I consider the Grateful Dead my gateway into bluegrass actually um, by listening to Olden in the Way and then the, Gr the Grisman band um, and Joe and like going to see Joe when I was in college and um, <coughs> play with the David Grisman band and then later on being able to just you know be able to collaborate with Joe over many years um, is you know amazing. Um, I found my way into this music. I played in a straight up jam band in college. And there was a purple bus with a rainbow. There was a purple bus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be tagging the members of that band um, when we put this out into the world. But um, that there are people listening to this show right now that would be on tour with us. Um, there were two girls in that band, okay, myself, and Sarah, who we called Daisy. And um, we were two girls in the jazz, the jam band scene. And um, I don't know. I mean, like I, I have combed my brain and we're talking jam band here because a lot of times women, they'll flush off into the folk scene or into the, the fiddle scene or the old time or bluegrass scene. There's way more women in those scenes than there are in the straight up jam band scene. And would you say, Beth, that's because it somehow feels more welcoming? Well, I, I guess maybe women see themselves there. Right. Um, and I was talking with Matt um, the other day about it. And I'm like, you know, I'm a woman who will flat out say I get joy from and I want to and am drawn to music of the jam band genre. How come there aren't very many women? And Matt was talking about how his wife is the same way. Oh, uh, Matt, tell me about your wife's feelings. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, I, I'll let my wife or tell you about it. Pop on screen and tell us. <laughs> if she was here, she would. She would just be ecstatic to hear her, yeah. her thoughts about all of this. You know, this is something that we talk about on a, on a somewhat regular basis around our house. Um, not just the, not just the, the, you know, can be toxic, you know, masculine energy that can be at these, you know, things associated with, with this scene sometimes, but also the racial divide, you know, mm -hmm. you, you see mostly a, a lot of white people, a lot of white dudes, you know, but um, it doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. I think that, that those groups just kind of, uh, uh, white guys just kind of latched onto it a little easier. Um, but it, it truly could be, can be for everyone. It, 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 it can be. But we have to find teachable ways to implement that. Yeah, yes, yes. And we have to find teachers that are willing to do it, right? Like, we got to find teachers who are in the trenches that are willing to say, all right, we're going to play this music and everyone in the ensemble is going to be a part of it. It's not going to be a choice because... If the choice was put out there, only the only the white dudes would choose to do it sometimes. Um, and so, it's just, yeah, I know. I, please, I, I want to hear what you have to say about it, please. Um, okay, a couple of things. I I do know some women that were around the dead a lot, like Caroline, you know, the Mountain Girl. Uh, remember that when the dead, I will say this: not on stage with them when the dead were touring. Candace Brightman, you know, she's a woman ran their lights for years um you know uh, uh Betty Cantor, uh yeah the engineer we can go on about that so they weren't anti-female um I did ask uh, one of my friends uh Pat Cole she's a she knew them when they were in the hate 
And uh, so she knew they played at a wedding in 1967, I think. So there was a lot of women around them. And I asked her about then that woman should stand up and say, you're being a ex, you know, you're being something, stop it and walk away and watch everybody. I mean, that's part of it. Right. But don't get me wrong. It's a problem. I think there's an awful lot of men doing the music. So that's, that's me. Sorry. I'm a little little rougher about it. Sorry. I I need to like talk about this. Um, When I was in this band of Bendigo, um, I played a gendered instrument, violin, right? I was a girl playing violin. And um, I just, I got really, really sick and tired of my violin not being heard over the masturbatory soloing going on with the guitar. Indeed, yes. I am on stage and I am wowing you with my prowess. Yes, and so, so I went ahead, bought myself a tube amp, propped that thing up on a chair, bought a, the very first line of the Yamaha silent violin, the electric violin. I bought myself an electric violin and an effects processor circa like 1998 or whatever. And um, I turned that thing up to 11, man. Yes, man. And I took some masturbatory so- solos on that damn stage too. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Get yours. And it's like, it's like, how come you see so few people doing this? So few women doing this. Yeah. Um, I did a little research and um, I, I guess, and this is the jazz band connection thing shining. Um, I guess that the Trey Anastasio band currently um, has two yeah. women horn players. Awesome. Yeah, Jennifer Hartswick and Natalie Cressman. Yes. Yeah. So that's fantastic. cool. That's cool. Um, that, that, I mean, it kind of ties in what I wanted to um, kind of jump back with Ricky Jean about, which is, um, you know, you don't see all of the women when you're current living in 2021 and watching videos, you see a bunch of men on stage. And so we've lost the context of what you've just shared. I had no idea. Um, And so you just see who's on stage. And as we know through research, folks feel othered. They do not in the teachable moments about, well, in the Grateful Dead, their sound engineer, you know, you can start building it in those conversations. Well, you know, another classroom technique that I use is I give the baton to a female or I give the solo to a female and have them stand particularly oftentimes in Seattle one of color maybe you know who will stand in front of the class because it's a different viewpoint suddenly there's a female of color leading the band while I'm sitting down you know that's a powerful thing that's and at young age younger than high school preferably right so they have a little more empowerment but it, it is our job as teachers to do that because we have to wonder um, why aren't maybe our female students or, you know, what Beth just shared, why, why is this experience happening? And we're probably going to have to find 20 to a hundred ways to counteract it. You know, there's not one. Not everyone is going to be as hard headed as me, man. (laughs) I'm not, you know, I mean, most, most people would probably like walk away from it before going and buying an amp and, you know, an electric instrument and all this stuff. So, um, and not everyone knows to turn it up to 11 either. That's right. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, I just like one of my big dreams is I want to see, I want to see an all women jam band. I want to see women on stage ripping solos. Um, (laughs) you know, the women in the Trey Anastasio band, um, they were probably likely afforded the opportunity to learn improv and um, all of, a lot of their skills um, through participating in jazz band at school, which is a sanctioned, yeah. it's a sanctioned yep. curriculum. Um, I would love for students who aren't wind or brass or percussion players 
to have these same sanctioned opportunities to explore this music and um, hone, hone real, real, real skills that serve you in a professional setting, like the women in the Trey Anastasio band. I think we have a new project for Hattie. Joe, <laughs> well, she's already professional. I Joe, know what she is. I'm just saying we've got a new, you know, group to add. Let's get an all women, you know, jam band. Hattie can be the 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 front woman. <laughs> I would buy tickets. You know, I think I think something that's really great, teachers that are watching this, um, is we always need to take a step back and look at intention mm -hmm. why are we doing this why are we doing this and what is what kind of a table are we trying to set for these students and that, then that gets me thinking about what is the intention of creative process for me i mean there's so many great answers to that but how about just that it is a pursuit of possibility so i'd like to dovetail pursuit of possibility with the term, and I can't remember, Ari, if you said it or who said it, but different viewpoint to make the process of learning to always be pursuing different viewpoint. Mm -hmm. um, studying the history of things has its place, but it's really more about the relevance of what is, what, what are, let's take this organized sound language of music and let's massage it for all the possibilities we can while also being conscientious of things such as you know potential uh you know to break through barriers of sexism and race and 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 class and uh and all of those kinds of things and to also welcome that vernacular learning you know i mean when we use we throw that term around a lot i'd like to i'd like to ask um unpack that for us joe yeah well i mean well okay there's there's for me there's a real simple definition for it which is that it is a vernacular learning is a process of learning by observation and imitation it is the same pedagogical system that we learn to, to speak with. That's how informally learned music operates from. So the really exciting part of this is to is is to just keep keep working that in the in the way that classical music has been engaged in crossover in recent years and just yeah just keep massaging that that idea because that can keep us from losing students who maybe are having a little bit more difficulty with the formal construct, but can really stay in there, hang in there with the informal aspect of it. Now that means you teachers, depending on what your background is in terms of your education, um, you need to embrace, we all have to walk this talk by really doing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you work from paper a lot, start spending some time. Yes, Ari. Um, I would argue that uh, the C Jam Blues is the C Jam Blues of jam band music. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. because um, as it turns out, most jam band uh, people um, are are sort of um, on the surface of jazz. Where it, if you can imagine bluegrass and jazz as being like the um, the seeds or the uh, you know the, the the mother and the father sort of jam band, um, a lot of people will just kind of skirt. Yeah, the roots of people are sort of thinking they're kind of like the jam band players aspiring to, but they can't play jazz yet, you know. And this is very common. Um, and so, C Jam Blues is the C Jam Blues of of jam band. Um, but also, if you're looking for a C Jam Blues, I would just say that most jam band, most Grateful Dead or Fish uh, songs are easier or as easy as C Jam Blues. And right. you can pretty much pick any of them. Any you of them. You can kind of go like which one? Any of them. Like, and they're right. all gorgeous. There's so many gorgeous melodies, and they're all right. just a few chords with beautiful melodies. But they take the spirit of what jazz does and what bluegrass does improvisationally, but with a little bit less of the complexity. So, um, the, the, so it seems it's like a really like maybe, elegant entry point for teachers to be using. 
I think so. I mean, and there's yeah, also the I mean, fact yeah, that, pick, yeah, you know, there's a, I would just say that, I, I mean, you know, people, well, Joe just talked about this, I think last year at Wintergrass, but uh, I, I also, we all talk about, I mean, parts of this element, which I'm saying, which I'll say now, which is that, you know, uh, someone like Bill Monroe was not just an innovator, he put together all these other influences. That's what the Grateful Dead did. So the Grateful Dead really is a gateway to American music. Like you look at just Gary Garcia's playing, you know, folk, country. I mean, I mean, I tried to make a list. I don't know, like folk, bluegrass, country, blues, psychedelic, mm -hmm. which came out of that jazz, new music, rock and roll. We could go on and on. Yeah. So that is where we show people in all aspects of American music, there is, you know, people of both, of all genders, People of all colors were part of this. It didn't come out of just white guys yeah. with a yeah. damn band. Yeah, I was gonna say the exact same thing, Ricky Jean. <laughs> exactly. yeah, this goes back to like the first question: why why should music educators take this music serious? I would argue that the Grateful Dead is one of the truly most American bands of all time. They took all of these American art forms and they made this new thing, and it's and that's what we're talking about. Yeah. They took jazz and bluegrass and folk and and rock and roll and they rolled it into a ball and they made this new thing. And it, all of those elements can be heard at, at, at any given point in their music. And I think that's a big part of why they should be given their, their due attention in the classroom. Well, I will tell you what, gentlemen, the four of you in this hour with my white claw have convinced me. <laughs> Tomorrow, I shall buy a Grateful Dead record. I want to, Ricky, everything, bravo, sir. Bravo, that was great. That was really, I mean, I think, I think, and I think we all are, are, are there with that. I love the idea of coming up with a lesson plan where you have the Grateful Dead as the power strip of American vernacular music, meaning that all these different forms are plugged into this one juice bar that is that band that is making everything relevant for today. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I love giving kids or anybody really the, the opportunity late, they hear, they hear Gamora and it's like, what's that about? And then having them realize this is, this is a biblical, spiritual it's like based on this and i you start telling the story and then you don't really want to spoil it but it's so cool and they're like what a far out weird thing golly and it's like i know isn't it great and also, <laughs> i just i just want to continue doing it i want to i want to make a movement i want i want kids to be playing this music and not feel like they're being punished in their school life for playing this music. Um, I want to just acknowledge that Beth did an amazing job of, um, of bringing Matt and uh, Ricky together and me. And we, and we haven't talked about this yet, but we've, we've done a few of these um, things where we go in and we spend a couple weeks uh, working with an entire orchestra. Uh, uh, Matt does an amazing job of, you know, or helping arrange all the music. And I think if there's any middle schools or high schools out that are looking for arrangements for Grateful, yeah. Grateful Dead music for orchestra, we've got someone right here. Up, Matt? Uh, can, uh, I'm happy to do it. I would love to. to. Well, he that does is, a great job. That's the main goal of this show is to connect teachers yeah. with who they should be hiring, you know? Sure, I, yeah. And if, if anybody wants, if there's any instrumentals that want to learn how to play like Grateful Dead, I've got teachers at my school that can handle that. I can handle that. There's a lot of great teachers out there, but I just wanted to really put a spotlight on Beth for the job for, and just say it was a tremendously successful operation. Um, I had kids in tie-dye shirts at, at, a, at the jazz club in Seattle playing Grateful Dead to a packed room. I didn't see one parent that complained. I saw nothing but smiles. I was there. Uh, I, 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 transcribing solos, studying solos, uh, learning parts. Uh, was equally as valuable, if not more, than in jazz in some ways, because I think a lot of kids, and this student in particular, is interested in learning jazz, but had more of an interest in, in this because he's kind of more of a rock. He's more interested in this stuff. Uh, I just want to say it was wildly successful. I want to give Beth like all the credit for organizing that and, and all the players, the players that were involved. 
education philosophy. But I've been able to work with these folks. Um, and part, part of what is so successful here is you are there with, uh, with us as members of our community, standing there in the classroom and then on stage with the kids where it, there is no delineation. Um, it's not just a kid's concert. It's a concert where you, the professional musician and educator are on stage with us, making music lifetime with us. Um, and I'd also like to, um, you know, just say like, there's a specific club in Seattle um, run by musician Wayne Horbitz, who is the person who opened this up to us, gave us a venue to do this for many years. And um, I know Wayne is a big deadhead. We should have had Wayne on the show, actually. In a future, future version of it, we should. Yeah, um, but like having a venue and having a place say, yes, there is a place for this. This is important, was so important yeah. um, when we were doing these. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that some of those kids are still playing music and they are still, you know, I mean, like bringing it all full circle. It's such that it creeps into who you are and into the fabric of you as a person to where when you want comfort, you're going to turn on the Grateful Dead and, you know, you're going to let it take you home. Because yeah. for me, A million thanks to our listeners, followers, and subscribers. The support we receive monetarily and otherwise helps us to be able to spend time creating a quality product, and it allows us to tap into partnerships and resources to which we wouldn't normally have access. We are stoked about the journey of learning we have ahead of us, and we are delighted you've decided to join.